Hello there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season seven of Star Wars in a galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Hydroid Medusa. Okay, no, never and, mind. <laughs> oh, I was, it took me by surprise. And I'm Prince Lee Char. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. Welcome back to Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Season 7, at least the first couple episodes are going to be a little weird, because Jacob is unfortunately not going to be available most of the summer. So we are recording most of the beginning of Season 7 way ahead of time. Um, so we're mostly recording these in early April when we have the time. So, um, but yeah, let's just uh, get into this episode why don't we jacob um, yeah let's let's do it so this episode we watched um the mon calamari arc at the beginning of season four of the clone wars water war gungan attack and prisoners are the three episodes these three episodes are three of my favorite episodes of the show just period i'm very excited to discuss what i think about them in water war there is unrest on mon calamari the two main species of the planet, the Mon Calamari and the Quarren, are feuding because um, Prince Lee Char's father, the old king, was assassinated. And now that Prince Lee Char has to become the king, the Quarren are not happy. But the Separatists have sent an agitator, the giant shark man, Rif Kamsen, to Carcadon, stir up dissent. Yes, shark man. Carcadon. Yeah, shark man. <laughs> Carcadon. <laughs> Great, Harkonnen. And yeah, so they, they just sent him there. And it's a mess. And event and also Anakin, Padme, and Jar Jar, I believe. No, Jar Jar's not the until episode next episode. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's Anakin and Padme are there also to try and help negotiations, which doesn't really work. And eventually the uh the Corin backed by secretly backed by the separatists, or not so secretly, I guess. Um, they attack the Mon Calamari on the surface, and the episode ends in all-out warfare. Yep. Um, so we'll get into more of the specifics. Let's go to the fortune cookie, um, which is, When Destiny Calls the Chosen Have No Choice. Um, mm. You know, a lot of this arc, the, the, the big theme of this arc for me is leadership, and coming into your own as a leader... And as a person, but really as a leader. Lee yeah, that's Char a huge theme here for Lee Char. into the role of king. Not, not king yet. He becomes king at the end of the arc. But he's thrusted into the role of leader, not having had that his entire life. Because his father was, of course, the king. But he, um, you know, we, we see more often than not in this episode, he's forced into it more than he accepts it. He, uh, you know, the Chosen have no choice. They, you know, when duty calls, it doesn't matter if you want to or not. If you're not ready, that's on you. Obviously, it's a little bit hard for him, but, you know, to the outside world, the harsh reality kind of is, you know, you have to be ready. And yeah, if there are unfortunate circumstances, there are unfortunate circumstances, but that's the way it is, you know? Yeah, it is very unfair. So let me just, can I like fan out a little bit on this arc for a second? Because I feel like yeah. if I don't do this now, I'm going to do it later. Um, I, I love the idea that this entire arc takes place underwater. 
The dynamic yeah. that that brings to the episode is uh, to the arc is so interesting and so fascinating because we get all this new technology and like new ways of fighting, which is really like just fascinating from a an in-universe perspective. One thing I felt was a little missing from this arc that I would have loved to see, and I think about this every time I watch this arc, even though I love it. Throw some like random wildlife in the water. Like we're supposed to believe that the Mon Calamari and the Corin are the only two species living in the water. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're not the only two, but I think they're the only two sentient species. Just, I, I just At least want in some canon, random fish. Case. I just want some. Can yeah. see some random fish. Can some random creature come out of the like the walls of coral and attack them for two seconds, like on a like that happens on Ambara every like five minutes? You know. Yeah. Um, Honestly, that would be nice. Yeah, it would be it would be really cool. Um, one of the other biggest problems with this arc is that it's only three episodes long. It's like <laughs> it goes by way too fast. Um, yeah, no, you know, uh, I'm honestly kind of surprised that you love this episode so much because I think, I think it's kind of again one of the more uh, fighty military episodes, and a lot of the it feels like a lot of, of it is just fighting. It is, but it has you know that that embracing of the destiny, that whole like leadership thing. It all feels very Star Wars to me. It always feels yeah. it, it all feels very home to me. This has a lot of this arc for some reason for me has a lot of original trilogy vibes. I think probably because mm. the two species, the two main species, were both introduced in Return of the Jedi. The Mon Calamari yeah. were introduced with Akbar and their cruisers, and the Corin were introduced um, by one of Jabba's henchmen was a Corin, and that was the first time we saw them in Star Wars. So. Um, it has very Return of the Jedi vibes to me. Um, yeah. So we see um, that disagreement with um, with uh, the Quarren and the Mon Calamari. I want to point something out. Um, way back, I mean, it's not way back for us because we recorded this a couple weeks ago, but way back by the time we released this, we released a tier list episode. Um, I don't know if you remember that, Jacob. Um, yes. And I and on we did a villains tier list and I previously had expressed my disappointment with Riff Tamson. Mm. I always misremembering yes. that guy. That guy gets under my skin so easily. He is a he is in my opinion a really great villain. He's a little yeah. cartoony at points, I will admit that, but he gets under my skin. He he knows exactly what to say to get people as angry as possible at any single moment. Um, I'm gonna give that guy a lot of credit for what he does for this arc. And plus, they're fighting a freaking shark the entire time. That's kinda <laughs> yeah. cool. Um very cool. Yeah. Um uh I also love that that um speaking of how how uh Tamsin gets under um people's skin so easily, the first thing he does in the entire arc is tell the leader of Moncala to sit down and shut up. Yeah, like this guy means business. This guy knows what he's doing, and he 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 doesn't have respect. Um, he has no respect. He's so I oh mean, my gosh. He says in the third episode, "I respect him. you, hunter to prey," but that's just something he says to yeah, make it. That's just what he says, you know. Evil, yeah, um, yeah, um, uh, what did I say? Oh yeah, this is the funny thing. Padme asks, um, what could the Republic can do to help the peace? What I've learned from Padme is that bringing the Republic into any argument is a really terrible idea. Yeah, I think... 
because everyone hates. And they never learns that. Yeah, it's, everyone everyone hates the Republic. It's so true. It it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah. Um, anything. Um, for my, I was gonna say one more thing about the this whole agitation scene in the chambers before you say anything. Uh, no, I think it's a little puzzling to me that Riff Tamsin is uh is kind of accepted by the Quarren as a good spokesperson or as someone to trust, given yeah. that the whole the, a lot of the Quarren's shtick seems to be um a lot of it yeah a lot of it seems to be um no outsiders like we don't trust the outsiders we don't trust yeah actually even I the did... calamari anymore I... we want to be a more insular society it's funny and then they love it when rift hansen comes in so it's, it's a little confusing but it's you know. funny because the note i was about to mention was this is a matter between the corn and the Moncala, and then I said in my notes, it is? That's news to me, Nosarai, because you're getting odors from Tamsin over here. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, I, Nosarai, by the way, is a character. I think I have a problem with him, like you have a little bit of a problem with Bo-Katan. Uh, Nosarai is easily accepted as, like, a reluctant villain. Yeah. In this arc, Why? Why is Nosarai the reluctant villain? He said, he basically, his, the first thing he says is, and by the way, this, this, this whole thing boggles me. Help, help me understand this. He, he says out loud to everyone, he goes, Hey, I'm not going to allow another Mon Calamari king. This, is, this sucks. I'm getting out of here. See ya. Bye. And then he comes back and says, Hey, Lee Charles, so your father and I were like really close. Yeah. What the heck does he think he's doing? I mean, you yeah. can do one, I guess you he's can trying do to, the other. I mean, I guess he's trying to... I, I mean, I don't know. You could say that that kind of shows the um, the balance between politics and and people, and maybe it shows a little bit, you know, how if, politics if, can kind if, of get in the way of personal relationships and get in the way of bonds and, and, and if they family were just, and, and friends. Yeah, if but they I, were just I still leaving, think it's weird. If they were just leaving, I'd understand that. But they're not leaving. They're leaving to start killing the Mon Calamari. I mean, Lee Char yeah. doesn't directly know that, but that's one of the options that he thinks might happen. No, Sarai, on the other hand, totally does know that. I also love um, later in the episode. I do not believe the Quarren will attack. And attack! then immediately, they immediately attack it. That is such a great. <laughs> that is like I think that is such like, a great moment. Um, yeah. Um, I remember when we had Alden Diaz on a long time ago. Um, he was talking about the whole good thing those bugs can't aim, and he yeah, said this it was is like a George Lucas the version line of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This seals this by that same token feels like a Lucas line. It's like yeah, let's just throw some irony in there. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah, um, so we then see uh, Senator Tills, who, by the way, Senator Tills appears for, like, five seconds in Revenge of the Sith, and now really? suddenly she's, like, a main character in this arc, which I love. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, um, and we also see, by the way, um, Captain, now, the, the then Captain Akbar, who will soon be, um, Admiral Akbar. By the way, did you notice that when the Quarren, um, and Tamsin attacked the city. Um, Akbar says, It's an attack! 
I did notice that. I I thought that was a great, great detail. I'm like, great reference. Obviously, you that that was. I was like, oh, I'm surprised they never said that. He they never gave him the opportunity to say that line, and then I saw that. I'm like, they did. They totally did. They did. When the Mon Calamari soldier gets shot in front of Leechar. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That moment is such a small moment, but you it says so much about. Lee Char in that moment and how on how not ready he is for this um you know he says to press the attack and then Anakin um punches back with a really interesting line forget your tradition this is war um yeah. it goes back to me to season one all the way to season one with the whole T-Watt Ka thing with the whole non-violence um, yeah yeah it definitely reminds so, me of that it's like the balance of traditions and survivability in that regard. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then we have, um, and then of course, Kit Fisto and Ahsoka and a bunch of clones managed to get on to Mon Calamari. I, I like just the, uh, the visual setup of it. I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty cool and striking to kind of go get to go up to the surface for a bit. First of all, I want to say it's ridiculous that this is like Kit Fisto's second appearance in the Clone Wars up to this point. Yeah, definitely. Like, what the heck? I, I don't understand. Um, second of all, remember when we were doing a Star Wars Clone Wars, the Tartakovsky one, and we saw yes. Kit Fisto leading attack on Quarren on Mon Calamari, and now we yes. see Kit Fisto leading an attack on Mon on on Quarren on Mon Calamari. Awesome detail right there. Um, we get to one of my favorite we get to one of my favorite lines in this entire arc um i don't know if you caught this one hear that they're cheering for you they're cheering for them then make it for you come on yeah. lead um yeah i feel like it, did, it really did a good job of displaying the message of stepping up and, and leading and because the the fortune cookie for this was when destiny calls the chosen have no choice right yeah yeah, yeah, I, I think it did a great job of conveying that. I really liked, I really liked what they did there. Yeah, my thing was like, you know, um, it's it's the whole uh, this arc is a Lee Char hero's journey. You know, that's what it is. We have that yeah. Joseph Campbell template for that. I often compare this arc to the Lion King because it involves the murder of a father and the son trying to take his place which is the Lion King, um, you know, Simba at the end of that movie or play or whatever, however you see it, um, you know, even though his father um, lives in him like some eternal CNN, that's a weird in reference, but okay. Um, I, he needs to defeat Scar as Simba, not as Mufasa's son. You know, um, Ray needs to take her destiny not as Ray, the granddaughter of Palpatine, but as Ray, and eventually as Ray Skywalker, the destiny she chose for herself. Luke yeah. needs to take his destiny as not Luke, the son of Vader, but Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. Um, it's it's that idea of taking your destiny, not taking the destiny of somebody else. Um, not taking the legacy of somebody else that it comes up over and over again in this arc um speaking of lee char by the way 
Um, I feel bad for Ahsoka this entire arc. I went through and counted the number of times that Ahsoka is assigned to lead char duty. Yeah. It's, it's like a lot. five, six times. The, wow. Yeah. Ahsoka, go with the prince. Ahsoka, go with Lee Char. Ahsoka, go with the prince. I'm like, that okay. That kind I'll... of reminds me of her and Lux Bonteri a little bit. I don't know. A little bit. Not, maybe, but... maybe not the romance aspect, yeah. but the aspect but of the Here's your charge. Go get them. Yeah. They do, yeah. They have a strong I think, bond by the end of this, yeah. I think they do have a lot in common. Maybe not a lot in common, but they, I think they definitely have a bit in common of, you know, kind of being very much on the young, very young, very inexperienced, but kind of being forced to uh, fill big, fill a big pair of shoes, you know, yeah. Lee Char as Prince um, and, and Ahsoka as Anakin's Padawan. Yeah. And they're both trying to figure out how to do that with Grace. Yeah. So I and thought it was a cool comparison. I, I definitely think so. You know, I think Ahsoka, like three years younger, not three years, two years younger Ahsoka and Lee Char would have been very, very interesting because Ahsoka is now, you know, she's grown so much since season one, where now she's way more confident in her role as Anakin's apprentice. You know, back in season one, you know, there's there's that line in the Clone Wars movie. I'm not, I, I'm worried I'm too young to be your Padawan. That Ahsoka and Lee Char would have been fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And then they do this whole thing. There's that sequence in the tubes, like those water tubes, where... Campson just chases them. By the way, am I the only wonder one who's wondering if Campson will get brain damage by smashing into those tubes over and over? I don't know. I <laughs> would it be like, made of me to say I hope so? Campson, he's a. I mean, would it be guy, made of me know. to say he almost looks like he already has brain damage? <laughs> oh wow! Goodness. I mean, he is. He is. Uh, he is. He is quite the murderer. Yeah, I'd he, say so. He is an animal. That's the only way to say it. he isn't. He is a legitimate animal. Um, yeah. What yeah. I think is interesting is how he. Um, yeah, it's interesting how kind of as an alien he kind of explores this side that we don't see too much in Star Wars of you know maybe trying to straddle the line between sen sentient and and wild beast where you know he's clearly sentient. He's he's talking. He's He's reasoning, but then at the same time, at, at the same time, he is a. He, he's also kind of using, his. His jaws to attack, and he's very much, trying trying to play up. His sharpness, basically, the fact that he is, an evolved apex predator to try and scare people. So I think that's interesting. Did you notice? Am I the only one who noticed this? But like, did you see the weird thing he's done with his jaw? He does with his jaw. He dislocates his jaw when he wants to attack really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, wonder what that's what about. What the hell is that about? I don't know. I think it just like, kind of shows that he is a very uh, he's a very strange, weird fellow. That is, yeah, uh, he's he's really, really, really weird. Um, but I I don't know. I it plays into his mystique a little bit i'd, I'd say yes um, i agree i agree uh, and then we have one of my favorite like pieces of technology in any clone wars episode ever we get the hydroid medusas or as i will oh. call them literally the entire rest of the episode as i wrote in my notes dem hydroid medusas 
Okay, let me tell you about something. These Hydroids Medusas are simultaneously, in my opinion, one of the coolest pieces of technology ever to appear in anything Star Wars, and one of the dumbest pieces of technology ever to appear in anything Star Wars. Oh, explain. They're simultaneously so cool and so dumb. Like, first of all, you see how quick they move? They move, like, really slowly. Yeah. And yet, when they do catch up to you, you screwed. Because, yeah. you know, they have that electric field, electronic field pulsating around them. Um, and, like, const half the time I'm constantly thinking, like, yeah, but you can just swim away from them. And then half the time I'm just constantly thinking, yeah, but if they catch up to you, you're kind of screwed. Um, yeah, absolutely. It is, it, and also, by the way, they're, according to Rift Hansen, they're, quote, half machine, half monster. What? I mean, I think it's cool. I, I like I like the idea of how the Quarren and the Moncala spend a lot of time fusing together. You know, kind of trying to fuse together nature and technology. And I think that definitely is to me that seems similar to how in Return of the Jedi and in The Last Jedi, you know, we get the the core or the Moncala cruisers, like the MC-80, the MC-85, which are, are very much organic and they kind of play up the, how organic they look. So I think it's it's interesting that it comes from the same planet, but in a way it's, it's different also because as opposed to being very much mammalian, which I think are how they intended the Moncala cruisers to be, you know, where they're very bulbous and they look sort of like whales or seals. These are totally the opposite. They're like squids or, or, or jellyfish. octopi. Jellyfish, yeah. Je also, they're jellyfish, the way, They're literally. not from Moncalamari. They're not. They're from Kirkoidia. Damn. Okay, never mind then. Because I take it I take it all back. From Tamsin. But I, home I still think it's cool how they include that in the same sort of episode or the or the same story. No, absolutely. I, I so, agree. I just I, just I partially like, take it back. <laughs> where's the monster in there? Like, I mean, I think it. I think it's clear. I thought the body. I thought it was clear that the body is is a um. The the body is a. Is a jellyfish, and then it had cybernetic enhancements. I thought that's oh, what so the implication like was. Really, really good jellyfish. Yeah, yeah, they're just really, really dangerous jellyfish, and they can control them at will, I suppose. You know, I would say that make them dumber, but that also simultaneously makes them more awesome as well. It's a weird yeah. thing. I, I don't know. It's just a weird thing for me, because half the time I think it's, like, really cool, and half the time I think it's really stupid. Um, knowing me, I'll probably just end up loving it anyway, but yeah. This arc, I'm probably going to compare this arc to the Onderon arc a lot because they're, the two have many similarities. One of the biggest similarities is the Separatists are too nosy for their own good. Yeah, definitely. Like, that is their they... hallmark flaw. They take over a place, but then the person who helps them take over starts to look around and say, wait, I have no more role in this. And <laughs> yeah. they're like, and the Separatists are like, and... Yeah, and? and and the local person's like, well, I, shit, this is a problem. Yeah, they're just like, well, whatever you say, boss. No, 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 and then they usually turn against them. Is what happens. 
Nosarai, General Tandon, and Onderon. It usually works against the Separatists. Oh yeah, I have some trivia. So, Kephisto's gunship. Kephisto's gunship, which you see in this episode, has a bomb painted on the side with Kit Fisto's face on it, and the Orabesh, which reads, Service with a Smile, which I would assume is in reference, of course, to Kit Fisto's iconic grin, that winning smile of his, which we see so much. Or we see when we see him, which I think should be more. Absolutely. Um... The episode ends with uh, Akbar telling Leechar that he learned the hardest lesson a commander can learn. How to live to fight another day. To quote Yoda from Last Jedi, um, Mastery, strength, yes, but failure, folly, also. In Gungan attack, um, Leechar and Anakin and Padme and Ahsoka Decide the best course of action is to run back to the Republic and try and get more reinforcements. Um, they try to go up to their ship, but it explodes. They try to calm um, Master Yoda and Mace Windu, and Master and Yoda and Mace Windu manage to send uh, the Gungan army um, to reinforce the um, Mon Calamari and Republic troops there. Um, but alas, um, in the ensuing battle with more reinforcements for the Separatist side, the Separatists capture literally everyone on the Republic side except for Ahsoka and Leechar, who are left together once again. Um, and that's pretty much the episode right there. So, the fortune cookie is, only through fire is a strong sword forged. In my opinion, this obviously refers to Leechar, you know? He really, in this episode especially... We see him go through the fire, and and we see him get be, in, while he's captured and throughout the war. You know, he just has to kind of figure out how to how to toughen up for better or for worse after he's thrown into this very unfortunate situation. Yeah, um, Kelly Clarkson said it best: "What doesn't kill you makes you stronger." Leechar has to endure his planet being almost ripped apart by civil war to come out a better leader, a better person, and eventually a better king. Um, so the episode starts off, this is this is one of my favorite things ever, with um, Tamsin and Dooku and Nosarai talking about hope and how the prince must not become a symbol of hope. Uh, it brings me back to our episode long ago with Jared the Dark Jedi from the Nerd Academy podcast. When you're the ones trying to stop hope, are they sure they're not the bad guys? Yeah, I mean... Are, are they sure? <laughs> I mean, you, you could kind of... That, that could be a very relativist argument because, you know, you can't... Why, oh, Luke, you... What have you done? You've destroyed the Empire's hope. The Death Star symbolized hope for a unified galaxy. It symbolized hope for... A million years of peace being ruled by Emperor Palpatine. But can something really be hopeful if it kills millions of people? Yeah, I mean, my point is just, my point is just, I think you could, uh, you could make that argument for a lot of things. You could make that argument. Um, yeah, I, I get your point, but it, it just, it just seems like, yeah, 
they're owning that they're the bad guys at this point. I thought this was interesting because this felt like one of the few episodes where the Republic military felt genuinely hampered or unable to unable to uh, keep up materially with the enemy in a way that we could actually see on screen to the point where they had to go and, and ask the Gungans for help because they couldn't get another water um, another water uh, going or another water yeah. unit going. Actually, I, I will head. say um, the uh, the idea of um, the idea of uh, them going to the Gungans did that feel at all that you like Star Wars patting itself on the back a little bit? It feel like Oh no, what are they gonna do? There's no other underwater species. Oh wait, we created an underwater species. Good for us. Yeah, hundred percent. Um yeah. Uh I also, by the way, it's interesting because the next episode in, in the season after Prisoners, after the Mon Calamari arc ends, is about the Gungans. So I like that we are seeing the Gungans a little bit before to re get reacquainted with them. Before we have an entire Gungan episode in um, Shadow Warrior, which is going to be season four, episode four. Here's a question I have for you: Does the Force work differently underwater? Why do you ask that? I don't know. I just thought of it while watching the arc. Um, because it doesn't look like it, but like it'd be fascinating to see if the Force is affected at all underwater. Because you have a much denser substance blocking the potential connection between, you know, two different objects which are needed to use the force, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I think it, it seems about the same because it's just the living energy. Energy field. Yeah. So. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Sure. So, of course, the ship gets destroyed, which if... Um, uh, which, if you remember, we used to do this. The ship getting destroyed is one of our in a galaxy tropes. Yes. Um, it happens way too often, and uh, in in this in this one, it's it's made a scene of because uh, Tamsin decides to be completely maniacal and decides to um, have the Republic watch their hope sink to the bottom of the sea, which is just like. No, sorry, buddy. You gotta wake up sooner because if you're working with a guy who wants to, to have somebody watch their hopes sink to the bottom of the sea, maybe you need a new boss. The prince is often mentioned in this arc. Um, yes. Lee Char is often mentioned as a symbol of hope. That's mm. all. That's all he is in throughout this entire arc. I'm like the dude can't fight for half this arc. You know what I mean? He kills like. A couple of Quarren. He maybe destroys a couple of droids. I mean, he kills Tamsin too, but like, you know, that's not until the very end. What they're more interested in him as is if he dies, Hope will die for the Mon Calamari. Yeah. Which, in a series so focused on Hope, um, you know, the time we spend away from Hope, at least in other episodes, is interesting, and I like that we are seeing it again here. Um, yeah. Uh, anything about the, um, about that kind of idea of hope and stuff? 
Um, not really. I think I do think it's interesting that the people seem to value even the people um the close to him seem to value Lee Char more as a symbol of hope and almost as a figurehead than actually for for him or his potential future leadership or for his life. So I think that is that is sad in a way for him yeah. to, to feel that. Um, what I was thinking of, and I want to look this up because Lee Char comes back. Lee Char is in a comic arc of the Darth Vader comic. Lee Char is manipulated. This is in the time of the Empire. Lee Char is manipulated by a fallen Jedi Padawan who survived Order 66 named Farron Barr, who's an Iktachi like um, Saisi Keen. Um, and I find it interesting that, you know, throughout that and throughout this, it's constantly about people who want to use Lee Char. Lee Char yeah. is never really allowed to be Lee Char. He's always the tool of somebody else. I mean, that's a very cynical way to view this arc, but, like, you know, it's there. Um, which I think is quite tragic, actually. Um, and then um, we see um, one of my favorite parts of this episode is the whole um, when he blows on the conch, she on the conch shell um, and he signals to his people that he's alive, which is such a thrilling... It's such a thrilling revelation that hope will... It's, it's, it's a very... I compare it to Luke in The Last Jedi at the end when he faces off against Kylo Ren. Um, the Resistance is reborn today. I won't be the last Jedi. Hope still, uh, Hope's still alive. Yeah. The Rebellion is reborn. That whole thing. One thing I noticed that I really liked was how the water got dirtier and dirtier as the war went on. That's I don't know if there's really some cool. deep symbolism to it, but I, I really appreciated that attention to detail. And and even if it, I'm, I'm assuming that it, it, it was done as attention to detail, not because there's some deep hidden meaning, but I really think it helped create this sense of the fog of war and, and yeah. conveying that, you know, the, this war is really destructive and it, it is really a tragedy. Like what I mean, we're polluting think... our planet. I mean, I think literally and metaphorically, you know, the blood spilled is making the water dirtier. Um, the, I, I, it, I think it's about war and peace. I think peace will, of course, because there's less bloodshed, will make the general atmosphere cleaner. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think there's too much deep symbolism other than that. Um... In Prisoners, um, Ahsoka and Lee Char go undercover to rescue all of their allies who have been taken prisoner by the um, Separatists. No Sarai, um, convinced by Lee Char, makes the decision to turn against T Tamsin, and they do a final battle. All of them, the Gungans, the clones, the, the Jedi the Moncala, and the Quarrens to defeat the droids and bring order and peace and prosperity back to Mon Calamari. And um, at the end of the episode, um, Tamsin is killed by Lee Char, and Lee Char ascends to the rank of King of Moncala, promising to unite Moncala for Quarren and Moncala people alike. Want to get to the fortune cookie of this one? 
Yes. So the fortune cookie here is browns are inherited, kings are earned. Kingdoms. I think kingdoms are earned. I was going to say I think it was a little badly worded, but obviously I miss I miss uh, I miss wrote it when I wrote it in my notes. Yeah, kingdoms are earned. I really like this fortune cookie. I think it is a bit of it feels like a bit of a no brainer. Um, um, but that being said, I still think it does, it does, a. it does definitely work for this episode and it is good for Leechar. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, we have a, you know, you can't just be a king. You can't just be a leader. You have to do a leader. You have to do what a leader does you can't yeah. just you can't just lead like like tamson does tamson has no interest in leading anything he just has interest in bossing people around but lee char has every interest in this episode to lead and that's what he does and that's why he's so successful um yeah um here's an easter egg in this episode um when anakin and um Kid Fisto see how they're going to be tortured by Tamsin. Fisto says, "Eels very oh. dangerous," which is a reference to Indiana Jones. Asps, I forget where. Very dangerous. Asps very dangerous from yes. Raiders. I think that is. That's funny because that's the one Indian. I got the reference because that's the one Indiana Jones movie I've watched. So you watch I watched the other ones. They're really good. Very happy, um, except for Skull. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, I should. I should. So Rye starts questioning Tamsin. Is this really necessary? Um, and I'm like, okay, shut up, Nosa Rye. You, your <laughs> men were skewering Moncala two episodes ago without a care in the world, and now you're starting your regret reactions. I'm sorry, that's not how that's not how the force works. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Um, there's this line here if my father were here he could reunite Mosarai and the Quarrens um which is such an interesting line right here um you know there's you remember that scene from Return of the Jedi this episode reminds me of Return of the Jedi a lot actually yeah when Luke says to Yoda I can't kill my own father no it's not it's not to Yoda it's to Obi-Wan, I can't kill my own father, Ben. I can't yeah. kill my own father. Um, but And so he goes from that to, I am a Jedi like my father before me. Um, another example I'm just thinking of is a, you know, like a, you're um, in the, um, in the middle of the sequel trilogy in Last Jedi, your parents were filthy junk traders. And then, of course, yeah. at the end of Rise of Skywalker, Rey says, I'm Rey, Rey Skywalker. You can't have a Ray Skywalker without your parents are filthy junk traders. You can't have a I am a Jedi without having I can't kill my own father. In this way, um I will be a king you can't have an I will be a king for all people, um, without an if my father were here. You know what I'm trying to say? You, you yeah. can't have one yeah, you can't have the resolution without having the struggle, and I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. Um yeah. Do you have anything about the beginning of this episode where um, Lee Char's coming up with the plan? 
about the beginning, I don't. I do think it is. It is really great to see him kind of, of lift lift himself up and and go through a bit of development. It, it feels gratifying to watch him uh, watch him kind of change in that way and evolve. Yeah. But I don't have um, a, a ton about uh, it. Let's see. Um, and then we have this awesome moment right here. If we all fought together, we would outnumber our opponents. Um, for anyone who's listened to me talk about the Rise of Skywalker for a couple minutes, they win by making you feel like you're alone. Yep. Um, you know, the idea of the Korans turning against the droids is the OG fleet coming out of hyperspace moment that I love. Um, and, you know, the whole unity bringing people together and their common goal. That's Star Wars for me, and I I really I love that stuff. Um, we also get, um, you know, those four four other sharks that Tamsin brings in at the end. Yes, I do. Those are the Knights of Ren. Do they look cool? Do they look threatening? Yeah. What do they actually do? We don't know. Nothing. Yeah, they do nothing. nothing. They're killed by three of them are killed by Lee Char in the span of. Five seconds. Here's a missed opportunity in this episode. How they didn't do, my name is Prince Lichar. You kill my father. Prepare, <laughs> Prepare to, to die. die. I don't yeah. know how they didn't do that in this episode, but it was right there. Um, if you do, don't know that reference, that's from the awesome movie, um, The Princess Bride. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> go see it. It's really good. Um, there's tons of Star Wars adjacent stuff in there. It seems like it's influenced by a lot of the same stuff as Star Wars is. We have that throne room scene. By the way, I'm convinced that anytime Star Wars is a scene in a throne room, they just knock it out of the park. In Return of the Jedi with um, Luke, Vader, and Palpatine. In Last Jedi with Rey, Snoke, and um, and Kylo. In Rise of Skywalker with Rey, Kylo, and Palpatine. Um, in prisoners with Rai, Ahsoka, Leechar, and Tamsin. Dooku and Tamsin only want to exploit us and leave our cities broken and our resources depleted. As said in Hamilton, at least a little bit, the dark side don't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes, but some <laughs> keep giving anyway. They may rise, but they'll fall and they're and and they'll break and they're they'll make their mistakes. Um, I'm just referencing all across pop culture today. Apparently, um, you know, the dark side, the light side gives and the dark side takes is what I'm trying to say. That that's what this arc is because, you know, the dark side took everything from Nosarai, even when he doesn't know it. Um. The dark side will eventually take everything from Tamsin when Dooku inevitably kills him or something. Like, Dooku does literally every one of his Separatist agents. The dark side will eventually take from Dooku when, you know, Dooku is eventually killed in hatred. And who does Dooku report to? Palpatine, who the dark side's taken everything from. But in Palpatine's view, the dark side's given him everything. Because Palpatine is blind to the true nature of the Force. Yeah. 
yeah, overall, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this arc. Um, I don't think I got as much out of it as you did, but this is definitely, this is definitely still really, really solid. And I, I liked it. I thought, I thought that they could have gone further with some of the, the themes and kind of driven home the points. So overall, I found it more action oriented. I think maybe you and I have kind of, um, opposite feelings about this arc and the Umbara arc, for example. That's and I say you kind of are seeing more of the themes in this and more of the battle in that. And I'm, I kind of can't see past the battle part of this and don't really get the themes in this as much. But I do think that you brought up a lot of good points. This definitely made me see some things in this arc that I didn't before. And I love that they I love that they did a whole underwater yeah. um a whole underwater arc. Such a cool idea. I really like that. So Jacob and I have already recorded our Umbara episode, which is incidentally two and a half hours long, unedited. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> point point being, oh, it was with a guest too, but anyway, yeah, point being, um, point being, yeah. I'll just I'll just keep this short, which is, I love this arc. I adore this arc. This arc was one of the first Clone Wars arcs I ever watched. Um, it's always stuck with me because of the original trilogy has themes about destiny and choice and fate and all of that great stuff um yeah jacob how do you think you'll rank these three episodes among themselves Ooh, that's a good question i think i would go mm, wow I, th I think i would go water war in third prisoners in second and gungan attack in first I would do the exact same thing. I just really? switched Gungan attack and um, prisoners. Prisoners in first, Gungan attack, and then water war. It gets better every episode, in my opinion. Oh, I have some more. I have some more trivia, actually. Absolutely. Some really fun Go facts ahead. here. Uh, th this might interest you, Eli. Um, so, the episodic director for Prisoners, Danny Keller, um, said that he remembers playing with the original the original gosh i'm blanking on the name now. the original uh, admiral akbar in 1983 the original admiral akbar action figure and as a result um he remembers using the baton that akbar came with as a blaster and that is why in this admiral akbar has that strange looking blaster that looks more like a pointer stick because in the original action figure it was intended to be a pointer stick but then he changed it and worked it in as an homage to the original action figure. That's pretty cool. Also, the lightsabers were supposed to boil the water on contact, but as you can probably guess, this episode was one of the most stressful on the show's resources because it was all underwater and so the animation- they bifurcate the crystals? <laughs> yeah, they bifurcated the crystals and they just added a little, a little turbulence and some bubbles here and there, but I don't think that- only intended but as these things tend to do um the cost ran up so they couldn't do it which i thought was interesting yeah absolutely now is the time for everyone's favorite part of star wars in a galaxy what you've brought me today is worth one portion one quarter portion, everyone. Um, 
Jacob and I, for all of these pre-recorded episodes, are going to do Quick Rank, which we can come up with two categories, and we'll just say our top five of those categories. Jacob, why don't you go first on this one for with your first category? All right. Starting off with, what are your top five lightsabers, Eli? Not lightsaber users, but the lightsabers themselves. Which are the coolest? Um, let's go with. I would say the coolest lightsaber is Rey's Rise of Skywalker staff saber, the yellow one. Yeah, the saber staff. Uh, yeah, the saber staff. Um, that's number one. Number two is Count Dooku's. Number three is the dark saber. Number four is probably I would say um number four would be oh uh would be Mother Talzin's spirit saber. Ooh. Um and number five would be the classic Kylo Ren cross card. <laughs> nice. All right. I think my top five, this is tricky. I think number one, Kanan's lightsaber, obviously. Super elegant, super unique. Number two, I'm going to go with Mace Windu's lightsaber. Purple, that is very cool. And I really like the uh, the shiny gold and the, the trivia that it actually has the letters BMF carved in it. You can guess what that stands for. It's Sam Jackson. <laughs> Number three, I would have to say Obi-Wan's second lightsaber, his blue lightsaber. I think the design is very elegant and, and fits his, his character perfectly. Number four, Ahsoka's Rebels lightsabers, the white lightsabers. And in number five, hmm, I'm going to go with the Seventh Sisters Inquisitor lightsaber. I think that one is very cool. All good choices. Okay, my first one. Top five most overrated Star Wars characters. Ooh, oh man. Top five most overrated Star Wars characters. This is tough, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to start any fights here. But I don't. I don't think I'm gonna do that. I think I'll be okay. Number one, Bo Katan cries. No surprise, Eli. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? You know me too well. You are not surprised. Number two, Darth Revan or Revan in general. I think Revan. I think Revan is overrated. You know, I've, I've I've experienced some of his media, and quite frankly, I don't get the hype. Number three, I am. I don't think there are that many characters that are overrated. Number three, I think Jin Erso. I think that a lot of people really love her. Personally, I didn't get it. I I didn't really feel that her character what was super compelling in Rogue One. I think maybe that tied into some of the other issues that I had with that movie. But still, fine character. Just don't think she lives up to expectations. Number four is going to be K2SO also. Yes, I think he is funny, but I, I do think that he is, again, probably a bit overhyped. And my number five... Hmm. Bizarre. I think my number five is going to have to be Count Dooku. Now, I love Count Dooku, but I think that 
he does get a bit lionized at times, especially in terms of his lightsaber fighting abilities. I don't know how many times I've I, I've had a intense discussion about who would win um, Mace Windu or Count Dooku with any number of people. And I always say Mace Windu and everyone else always invariably says uh, Count Dooku. <laughs> but, but honestly, still a great character, just a bit overrated. How about you? Interesting choices. Number five. I was gonna say Ventress is my number five, but I switched it to Mace Windu because Whoa. Mace Windu. Um, because Mace Windu. Number four, Cad Bane. He has a stupid mm. voice and he's a stupid character. Um, but he has a nice hat. Sure. Fine. Yeah, we. The areas of agree. We got to agree on the hat, though. Yeah, we got to agree on the hat. <laughs> number three, we got to talk about Mole. Ooh, I figured that would come up. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're surprised it's not higher. It was gonna be number Maul was gonna be number one on my list until I thought about number two Star Killer, mm. and okay. number one. Let me say this with enough certainty of everything. Okay, are you ready for this? Yes. Revan. <laughs> Get off of that guy's that. back. He's terrible. <laughs> Freaking hate that guy. Um. Okay. Um. Jacob, what about your number? Your second one. My number two, what are your top five droid characters in Star Wars? Top five droid characters. Let's talk about BB-8 as number one. Mm. Dio as number two. Um, BB-8, Dio, R2-D2. Um, I'll go with... Does General Grievous count? Um, I also suppose General Grievous. I, I can. I think General Grievous can count. Actually, I'm not going to count Grievous now that I think about it, because he's not really a droid. Um, I'll go with HK47 as my number four, and I'll go with um, shoot. I'll go with BB8 as my number five, or BB90. BB90, nice. Good, very, very interesting choices. I was not expecting some of those, but I. What, what do you think? I think they're good nonetheless. What about you? Mm, okay, this is in no particular order because I love a lot of droids, and I'm very sad that I can't just pick the entire B1 Battle Droid Society <laughs> for my list. But I am going to say number one, Chopper. Love that little guy. Number two, C3PO. Legendary number three R two D two, pretty. I, I know those are some basic picks, but I love them too much. Number four, it is going to have to be the uh, the the bad the B one battle droid that says, "What a terrible no." The B one battle droid that says, "Oh well, it's wow. just my programming." In the uh, in ambush, the first episode of the Clone Wars, and number five, I'm gonna have to go. Man, I think yeah, I think I'm gonna go with AP five. AP five is such a meme. None as legendary as number four, the legendary battle droid, who says, <laughs> "Ah well, it's my programming." That, Truly, that, never that a proves. better. They are, they're self aware. They're self aware. Okay, final one, Jacob. 
We're going into the Clone Wars right now, but let's talk about the other Star Wars show. What are your top five favorite episodes of Star Wars Rebels? Top five episodes of Star Wars Rebels. That is tough. That is really tough. I have so many episodes of Rebels I love. I think number one has to be Family Reunion and Farewell. Number two, Zero Hour. Number three, um, Twilight of the Apprentice. I'm, I'm lumping those in as one because I don't think they're worth they're worth separating really for obvious reasons. Number four, Jedi Knight, and number five, Doom. Number five, Zero Hour. Number four, Twilight of the Apprentice. Number three, A World Between Worlds. Number two, Family Reunion and Farewell. And number one, in a shock to absolutely nobody, Twin Sons. Twin Sons. It is a that is a very good episode. It's such a great episode. Um, but in the meantime, in the meantime, I think that is going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Um, next week, or at least next episode, um, next episode we will be covering Shadow Warrior, Nomad Droids, and Mercy Mission. Mercy Mission is before Nomad Droids, but I am apparently pretty tired right now, so I mix that one up. Um, follow us on Twitter, at In a Galaxy Pod, Instagram, at Star Wars in a Galaxy. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be there. Um, leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, email us at swinagalaxy at gmail.com. And in the meantime, may the Force be with you. Always.